Welcome to Roots Radio, weekly high school Bible studies located at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. John chapter 12 this morning. Let us pray and let me get to the right page. Page 743 in my Bible, if you guys are trying to find it. Just kidding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and Jesus, we thank you so much um, that you are God with us. Lord, we thankful, Lord, that you just ministered to that, that to my heart, Lord, that you're always with us, you never leave us, you never forsake us. God, that unlike any other religious system or false God, that you would descend upon us and, and dwell among us and make our heart your home, Lord, we're just so so blessed to know that you love us so much and God that you desire to be with us and so Lord as we as we study your word this morning God would you begin to soften our hearts Lord would you teach us in the power of the Holy Spirit what you would desire for us to know about you what you would desire to communicate to us about yourself and Lord that you would be glorified and lifted high in Jesus name amen amen and Lord, please make these chairs magically comfortable. All right. Chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read together. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, Lazarus was, who had been dead, who had been raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not have, or for, sorry, but me you do not have always. This chapter begins and marks the beginning of the end, really, as we look into these next few chapters. As Jesus, in this chapter, we see the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. This marks the last week of his life. So from chapter 12 to chapter 21, this is the last week, the final week of his life, of him being here on the earth, uh, which is going to lead to his death and resurrection. Sorry to spoil the story for you, but that's where it's headed. And in chapter 12, you remember in chapter 11, to give you context, there's one of the, one of the most amazing miracles recorded for us in scripture. And remember, John is writing with this slant of, of whatever he's writing about is with the, the purpose and the plan of helping us to have faith, that our faith would be strengthened. And, and if you, to this morning, some guy walked up and started trying to hand all of you guys Spanish Gospel of John's. <laughs> Hola. <laughs> None of you speak Spanish. But the reason that we hand out Gospels of John, have you ever wondered, like, why do we just zero in on that one and why do we hand that to people and as like a tract or like a way of sharing the gospel because the gospel of John is written 
And the writer is, is writing in such a way that the miracles that are recorded for us and the things that Jesus said and did were to help us to increase in our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we read this story and we look at, really I, I want to focus in on verses 1 through 4. And who knows how far we'll get. But why, if we have this faith in Christ, how that faith should translate for us into worship of our God. And what a true worshiper looks like, what a true worshiper does, and what is worship for, and why do we begin church with worship in, in the sense of worshiping him in song? What is the whole purpose in that? But remember in chapter 11, Jesus raised someone from the dead, no big deal. And um, we read this whole long, it's a long chapter all about one event. It's 57 verses about Jesus raising this guy from the dead. But we have the progression of the story where Lazarus was just sick. And the message went to Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus before he died because the sickness was leading unto death. And his sisters sent to Jesus, Mary and Martha, they sent word to him and said, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. And we need you to come and heal him. And, and Jesus says in these verses, this sickness is not unto death in verse 4 of chapter 11, but for the glory of God. Now Jesus, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And we saw that the word love in, the, in that transaction, in that conversation, is two different words for love. In, in, the, in verse 3 where it says, um, therefore his sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. That word love is like this friendship type of love. That, hey, I love you, bro. Like that kind of love that you have for Lazarus. And, G and their sisters, or, or Lazarus' sisters, says, Jesus, we know that you love our brother. We know that you guys are friends. We know that you're buddies. We know that you have this wonderful fellowship with each other. And Jesus says in verse 5, or John records for us in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that word love is the word agape which is a different kind of love. And what we see communicated here is that Jesus is saying that I love you with a love that is so beyond what you think I love you. How you think I love you times it by a million and that's how much I love you. And sometimes we can get our, our view clouded as to how much God loves us in our terms of love. Because we use the word love and I love burritos. And we do. We, we, obviously we do love burritos and we live... Where we live is just, we love them. I love bacon. I, lo I mean, we just have one word to describe how we feel about bacon. But if I say I love bacon, and I say, you know what, I love my wife too. We have this understanding that those are two very different types of love. Or they should be, anyway. <laughs> They're not on the same level. We're like, I, put a, I liked it, so I put a ring on it. And there's like a ring around a strip of bacon. I, I love my wife, therefore, you know, it's a different, you understand. It's different. In chapter 11, we saw Lazarus sick. He dies. And I, I believe that his sisters are at this point. Like, they come to him and say, if you had come, they ask Jesus, if you had just been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you say that you love us. You say that you care for us, but you delayed in your coming. You didn't show up. Where were you? Why weren't you here? And Jesus performs this miracle where he speaks and calls Lazarus out of the grave. And Lazarus comes walking out after being dead for four days. 
And, and we saw that Jesus in these, this verse, or in these, this chapter, excuse me, we see that Jesus proclaims himself to be the resurrection and the life, and he proves it. Proves it. And we have this wonderful um, portrait for us of the power of God, that no one is so far gone that God can't do a work in their life. It's speaking spiritually in the sense that no one is so, so far gone that they are past saving. That Jesus' love, his compassion, his power, his spirit can reach into any life and begin to, to pump that heart again for the Lord. Um, and so that's kind of chapter 11. In chapter 12, it's six days before Passover. And Jesus will eat Passover. Remember the upper room where he has Passover with his disciples. And, and so he's marking for us a timeline here. There's six days before Jesus is going to be um, in the upper room where, where Judas will then leave and go and betray Jesus. And so that's kind of our marker as to where we are in time. And, and Jesus is staying in a place called Bethany. Now, Bethany is just a stone's throw on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And sometimes we can think geographically in, in Scripture that things are so far apart that it says that they traveled to here and they traveled to there. Israel is like the size of New Jersey. It's, it's small. And so when they say like Bethany and whatever, Bethany is literally on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So if you're standing on the Mount of Olives, which we think mountain, we're like mountain. It's a hill. Um, <laughs> that's it. It's like a, it's a large hill. But you can walk down it in a few minutes. You take a bus because no one wants to walk uphill. Um, but you walk down it in a few minutes. The Mount of Olives is where Jesus is going to descend and we have him coming down into Israel in the triumphal entry. Now, Bethany, it says that he'll come and he'll stand upon, uh, he comes and returns in, and stands upon or the area of Bethany. Where is, and people begin to get confused. Well, is it the Mount of Olives or is it Bethany that Jesus will return upon? Both. It's on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Like I asked our tour guy while we were there, standing on the Mount of Olives, I said, where is Bethany? And he goes, it's over there. <laughs> it's, it, around, it's right over there. So there is Bethany, and that's where Jesus is during this time. And, and there he lives or hangs out with Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, who was the dead guy. Verse 2, it says, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Don't you love how often we see Jesus eating? Can I get an amen in the house? Like, let's just glory in, in food for a minute. Um, Jesus loved to eat. Again, speaking of his humanity. He was eating with people. He ate with these guys. And Martha, we see her again serving. That was her joy in life was to serve. She had this wonderful gift of hospitality and, and loved to just be a homemaker and, and serve those that came into her house. And there was a time, remember, where Martha was making this meal for Jesus and his disciples. And there's Mary, her sister, at another case in time, uh, another point in time, there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, receiving from him. And Martha says, you have got to be kidding me. I'm in here slaving away. There's my bum sister sitting on her, on her tushy over there, just soaking it. Don't you think I would like to be over there? And how come I'm... And she tells Jesus, Jesus, will you talk to my sister, who I'm not talking to right now, will you tell her to get in here and help me? 
And Jesus says to Martha, 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 there's one thing, man, there's one thing that, that she has chosen, and this one thing is, is of utmost importance. And Jesus kind of rebukes Martha in the sense that the busyness of servanthood and what you're doing, it, it's great, but it shouldn't replace our worship of Jesus. Worship is something that is in response to the work that God has done. Our worship to the Lord and why we sing and, and sing and worship in that way is it should be out of response to what God has done for us. And our service to the Lord and, and when we do serve God in our active service to him and whatever we're doing is out of a response to what God has done for us. But our servanthood and works and, and doing all that for the Lord should never replace our time just sitting in front of the Lord and receiving from him and worshiping him. There can be this kind of um, this temptation to stray from that and forget the importance of just receiving from the Lord. And I believe that Jesus points out the importance for us. That what's important is not just service in the active way. But also worship in the sense of sitting and receiving. And being in just enthralled with who God is. And that's why we begin each service. And why we put a heavy emphasis on worship of the Lord through song is because it's, it's of utmost importance that we spend time just singing to the Lord and praising Him. That when we sing songs like God is with us, not only does it minister to the Lord, reminding us of who He is, but it also ministers to the person in front of you that when you sing into the back of their head that God is with us. God is with you. Paul tells us that we should sing to one another with songs and spiritual songs, reminding each other as we sing to each other, not only to the Lord, but to each other, that we are all in this together, all worshiping the Lord, because God is worthy of worship. And those songs minister to us as well as they minister to the Lord. That as we worship God, there's something that happens when all, all of the things that have gone on during the week, Everything that is, has come to pass in our life, every struggle, every difficulty, that when we come to the place of worship, we can lay everything aside and just focus in on Jesus. And in light of who God is and how big Jesus is, it seems as though all of our difficulty, problems, issues begin to fade in the background as Jesus is brought into the foreground. As he is made big in our sight. And that's what happens is we, that, that's kind of what church is. It's, a, it's a, a holy huddle type thing. That when we come in here, it's, it's to receive from the Lord. It's also to worship the Lord. But then we go out into the world. And what happens is as we live in the world that we live in, we pick up things, don't we? It's as if, you know, when you get your car out of the car wash. How many of you love a fre like fresh, clean car. I'll go through, through Costco's thing, their little, the thing. What's it called? The car wash. I'll go through it and then I'll go home where my wife has bought for me last, she bought for me last uh, Father's Day a auto detailing kit. That's right. Where I will then begin to go in 
to the nooks and crannies that Costco has not taken care of. I will begin to detail this thing. And the next morning I come out to a beautiful, this is shiny. It's so shiny. This is not an idol in my life, I promise. But over time, I mean, you get in the car. You get, if you wake up early in the morning, you've noticed that dew is now settled on your freshly washed car. And as you drive it to work, and then on the freeway, as I drive, all that dew begins to spread. And it just, water begins to, and all of the time and effort in which I had just spent in washing my car, gone. Water marks, dirt marks, dust has collected. But then you go into the car washing and it gets clean. That's somewhat of how church is. It's a terrible analogy. But here's the thing. We pick up junk from the world all week long, don't we? You pick up images. You pick up language. You pick up all sorts of stuff that has been put into your mind, through your eyes, through your ears, and it kind of attaches itself to your soul. And you come into church just, oh, I barely made it here. And now i got to sit here, and there's some guy who's going to sing songs. What is the point? I am tired. <laughs> the purpose of it all is that as we begin to worship God, and we hear his word being taught, that the water of God's word would begin to wash away all of that stuff that has attached itself to your mind and your soul. The dirt that has just clung to you. It begins to wash itself away as you begin to worship the Lord. And worship is like one of those things that if you just look at it, but you never engage into it, you will never receive the benefit from it. If, if Mary just simply sat there at the table eating and she didn't engage in this time of worship that she has with the Lord, we wouldn't, we wouldn't see what's going to transpire in her life. So often that we know that we are are messed up. There are times where we know that we've picked up stuff from the world. And we come into church and we know that if I would worship the Lord, I know that things would begin to, I would, that burden that I'm carrying would begin to be lifted. And it's like a shower. If you just look at a shower and you go, I know that shower will make me clean. I know it will wash it all away. I understand that. But you just simply look at it, but you never get into it. You'll never receive the benefit of it. Worship is something that a lot of times is not, not something that we automatically desire to engage into. But the minute we do, the minute you begin to just say, Lord, I want to minister to you, we then begin to be ministered to by the Lord. As we begin to sing and worship and lift our hands and close our eyes and just all distraction, this is all about Jesus at the moment. When you, you spend time in the morning in, in the Word of God, as you read your Bible, or there, wherever, whatever time you do it at, or there you are on your app, and you're reading and you're receiving from the Lord, and you just begin to pray and worship Him, all that stuff that we pick up begins to wash itself away through the power of the Lord as we worship Him. It says that they served, and Lazarus is one of those who sat at the table. Can you imagine being at that table the guy who was dead is sitting at your table. Like, Lazarus, what, how was your week? Well, it was rough. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I wasn't feeling too good. Took like a four-day nap. Now I feel better. I mean, what a, a, just amazing conversation at that table. But there they are just sitting together. And Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed his feet anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with a fragrance 
of the oil. We'll come back to this in a second, but I want you to notice as you, as you read down, it says that the oil was worth a lot of money. It was costly, as you saw in that verse. And um, in verse 3, it says it was costly oil. But um, Judas was just this magical accountant all of a sudden, and he knew exactly how much it was worth. All of a sudden, he just is like, that oil is worth 300 denarii. And a denarii was like a day's wage. So it was like a year's worth of wages. Say you worked some job and you worked hard all year long and you saved every dime that you made. And at the end of the year, you bought this fragrant oil and you're like, there it is. The object of all of my work, here it is. That's what this oil was. It's very costly, very expensive. A year's wage. Um, and Mary takes it, and a lot of times this oil would be um, sealed up into um, like a glass jar. And in order to get it out, you would have to break it, break the top, and pour it out. And, and once you broke it, there was no, like, it's coming out. So once you broke it open, it's going to happen. When she breaks this open, you can almost, like in the room, this like, <gasps> Like this gasp of air, like, oh my goodness, she, it's open. What is she going to do with this? And she pours it on his feet. Now, it was a custom that when you would enter into someone's house as a guest, they would wash your feet. You would, they would kind of do that for you as a service, and they would, you know, they had dirt roads, things were nasty, and so they would wash your feet as, as they came in. Mary takes it a step further. Not only are we going to wash your feet, but I'm going to anoint you with this fragrant oil. It was costly to her. And worship, actually, it does cost us. There's a cost involved. There's a cost involved. And, and to Mary, when it was motivated by love, when anything is motivated by love, there's no cost that is too great. There, it's, it's nothing in comparison to what you're going to, what you're going to gain from that. When I asked my wife to marry me, when I went to go buy her engagement ring, I had saved all my money. And not very much, but I saved it. And when I went to buy it, I emptied my, my savings account in one foul swoop. I used a check. You guys know what those are? You write on it. It's, <laughs> I wrote a check for the amount. I'm not going to tell you because it's embarrassing how much it, it was cheap. But I bought it. It was all the money I had. I handed it to them. I remember when it got cashed and I looked at my savings account at the, on my statement, not on my phone, on my statement. It, Cause it wasn't, we didn't have, anyway, I looked at it and there it was my savings account, big old fat zero. Everything that I had saved was gone in an instant. I remember thinking, darn, <laughs> like, like in my mind, I'm like, man, but at the same time, what I was going to gain was so much more valuable that the cost, was, it, was, it seemed like nothing. It was nothing. It was, I was glad to pay it for what I was going to receive or who it was for. And the same is with worship. Although there's a cost involved as a worshiper of the Lord, when it's motivated by love, what else can we possibly do? 
When you look at what Jesus did for us, and he was motivated by his love for us, that he laid himself down upon a cross, and he despised the shame, looking for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was us, that we would have relationship with him for all eternity. That was the joy that was set before him. He crawled upon a cross. He laid his arms out, gave people his feet that they might drive spikes through him, and he says it's worth it. Although the cost is great, it's completely and totally worth it. Totally worth it. Now, when we come to worship the Lord, although there's a cost involved, is it not absolutely worth it when it's motivated by love? Worship should never, and it it can be, and I fall victim to this all the time, is mechanical. We can become very mechanical in the sense that we come, we do three songs, we do the teaching, we do one song, clung song, and then we go. And it just, we lift our hand, we stand, we hit, and we become very mechanical in our worship. And it takes a, a, a moment for us to say, this is not going to be mechanical. And this morning when I walked in, we began to set up, it was just mechanical, like we always do. And I thought to myself, worship cannot become like this. Our worship to the Lord cannot become just something that we do. It must be from a place motivated by a love for him. And for, for Mary, looking at this pound of very costly oil, and she begins to break it open, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. For her, although it was costly, it was completely and totally worth it. And worship comes not only from a place that costs something, but it also comes from humility. Humility. We must humble ourselves when we come to worship the Lord. Pride has to take a, a it has to be gone, not just take a back seat. It's got to be gone when it comes to worshiping the Lord. Because it's putting Him at the forefront. It's exalting Him. It's all about Him. Notice there are tons of other people in the house, right? There's her brother, her sister. They're all there. Mary wasn't focused on anyone else in that room except Jesus. In worship, when we worship the Lord, if we don't humble ourselves and put pride aside and say, I don't care what any, if there's anyone else in this room. Right now, it's just me and Jesus. A lot of times what hinders us from worshiping without reserve is our fear and the focus is on the fact that there are other people around. That if I lift my hands, what are they going to think? If I sing really loud, what, is the, what are they going to think? Listen, this is what I go through on a weekly basis. That if I lift my hands, what happens if I accidentally hit the person next to me when I lift my hands? That's going to be embarrassing. How am I going to face them afterwards? Who really cares? Who really cares? And so often the focus begins, it's on us. That, Lord, how can you minister to me during this time? Oh, the music, how is it going to minister to me right now? Instead of, Lord, how can I minister to you? Because that's what worship is about. The focus is on him. Everyone in that house took a back seat and Mary says, Jesus, you're here right now and I may only have you for a short time and while I have you here, I'm going to worship you. No one else here matters. It's just you and me. 
And as she anoints his feet with oil, she takes a place of humility and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Her hair. Talk about a humble experience. Now, I don't know about you, but I think feet are absolutely disgusting. On the top 10 list of disgusting things in the world, feet are right there at one and a half. Like, I think, do you know that you sweat nine gallons out of your feet? Oh, (laughs) nine gallons out of your feet. That's disgusting. There's a guy that I went to high school with. His name is Mike Rule. Mike Rules. Anyway, we had this this guy named Mike Rule, and he played offensive guard next to me. uh, And I played center, and so we were like, he's my bud. I love Mike. Big white guy. He's cool. And Mike had a sweating problem. He would sweat when he ate. Um, He would sweat when he slept. He just was all around sweaty all the time. But at football practice, especially, he would sweat. He used to carry around this big jug of water and he would drink it all day long because otherwise he'd get dehydrated. And it's just super sweaty. I don't know why. It's kind of a weird problem. But anyway, um, we would get down in a stance and when he would run, you know, your foot kind of, I've told you this story before. When he would do that, your cleats have these little ventilation holes in the front. Sweat would squirt out. Like a sprinkler. Feet are disgusting. That's the point. Now, when Jesus had come into the house, when Jesus had come into the house, someone had washed his feet for him. But Mary takes it to a whole new level, and she stoops down, and she begins to not only anoint him with oil, but she begins to wash his feet with her hair. And she begins to wash his feet, wipe his feet with her own hair, And what's amazing is that it says here that the whole house was filled with this fragrance of oil. But Mary would have smelled exactly like Jesus because the oil was in her hair. As Jesus would walk around and people would smell that that incredibly expensive ointment that was on him, Mary would walk by and smell exactly like him. Why? Because she was there sitting on his feet worshiping him and Jesus had rubbed off on her. When we spend time with the Lord, when you are worshiping him, the purpose is that Jesus might increase and we might decrease. And that comes by humbling ourselves, ridding ourselves of ourself, or allowing the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and begin to rid us of ourself And that Jesus might be glorified in us. That we might bear the fragrance of the Lord wherever we go. And you see that in verse um, verse 4, verse 5. But one of his disciples, Jesus Iscariot, you remember, he says to them, why did we waste this, basically? Why did you just, you wasted that. You spent a whole year saving it, you just wasted it. We could have sold it or whatever. He only wanted to do that because he was... He had the money back and he was going to take from it. But he says, we could have used this. We could have saved it or whatever. What you just used it for was an absolute waste. And the difference between someone who is a worshiper of Jesus and someone who just is a a 
participant is that they see worship or, or an act of worship or just normal Christianity in the sense that um, there's this enthusiasm to worship the Lord. They see that as embarrassing or as a waste. They see it as a waste. It's never a waste. Never is it a waste for you to spend time with Jesus. Never is your time wasted when you serve the Lord and when you worship the Lord. Never is it a waste of time when you spend your lunch at school reading your Bible. That's not a waste, rather than being social. Never is it a waste to, to witness for the Lord than to be doing something. I don't know, it's just never a waste. There's never a time that goes, where God says, oh, you, know, you know, that time you spent in my word, I'm not gonna use that in your life. Actually, it was a waste of time. It's never a waste. And as a true worshiper of the Lord, when we sit at the feet of Jesus, the intention is, is that the Holy Spirit might rid us of ourselves, that Jesus might be amplified in our life, that we might bear his fragrance, and that we might cling to more of Jesus in this world, that we might have more of Christ on a daily basis. Because we are in need. I don't know if you know this, but you are in need of Jesus daily. Without him, without him, you're going into a world without the resurrection and the life. Without him, you're going into the world without the shepherd over you. Without him, I mean, how can you live without him? And the whole purpose of worship is to fix our eyes on Jesus and to get our eyes off ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to see Jesus and more of him. Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. How did she know that his burial was coming soon? How did she like have this intuition? It seemed like no one else knew. Jesus had told him multiple times, I'm going to die, I'm going to go into a grave, and I'm going to rise again. Everyone's like, what does he even mean by that? <laughs> this is a real puzzler. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to die? I just, you mean like, I don't even know. How did Mary know? How did she know? She had spent time with Jesus. Every time you see this woman, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when you sit at the feet of Jesus, there's something that happens. Guess what? You learn something about Jesus. You learn about him. You receive from him. And as she did that, man, she knew things about him. Jesus says, for the poor you have with, me all, with you always, but me you do not have always. She chose the better. Serving the Lord is great, man, in the physical. As you just kind of serve him and wait tables and doing whatever Martha was doing. It's wonderful. But Mary says, I want to just sit at the feet of Jesus and receive from him. Because I know I don't have him with me always. She had this wonderful heart that was just a worshiper of the Lord. And may that be something that we always have, man, that we don't lose sight of, is the importance of just worshiping the Lord. That when you're going through something difficult, worship the Lord. Worship Jesus. There's an instance in the book of Acts where Paul goes into the city of Philippi 
And he had been wanting to go to Asia, and God said, no, you're not going to Asia. And Paul's like, please, I want to go to Asia. And God said, no, you're not going to go to Asia. And Paul's like, seriously, I really want to go to Asia. And God's like, no, no Asia. And so he's sitting there waiting, like, where are we going to go? Where I would, then what do we do? And he has this vision of a man from Macedonia. He says, come, like, we want you to come here. We need the gospel. Come to Macedonia. And Paul, hey, hey. Want to see a magic trick? Watch. I'm going to make it disappear. <laughs> Dang. All right. It's gone for a second. Anyway. What are we talking about? Okay, so Paul. <laughs> shh, 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 shh. Paul's going to go to Macedonia. So he goes. Now, up to this point, every city that Paul went to, he would run into these people called the Judaizers, or he'd run into Jews, and wherever that would happen, these guys with curly cues and stuff, he would get beat up. That's how it translated. Paul walks into a city, Jews get mad, Paul gets beat up. That's just how, how things were going in Paul's life. He shows up in Philippi, there's not even a synagogue. So there's no Jews. So Paul's thinking, I'm not going to get beat up this time. Yeah, this is awesome. But there's no dudes, there's no one to like... In his normal way of doing things, he would go into a synagogue and he'd preach there. He would reason with, with them through scripture. So, as was custom, he would go down to a body of water. And there's a body of water or by the river. There's some ladies there having a church service. And Paul's like, sweet. Not only is there no Jews, but there's no dudes that are going to beat me up. This is going to be awesome. And so he shares the gospel with these women. And Lydia gets saved. And everything's going well. The church is kind of like forming. People are getting saved in Philippi. And as Paul's ministering there, this demon-possessed girl is following them around, and she's saying, ah! and she's going nuts, like, these are the prophets of God. And people are like, if those are the prophets of God, we're not going near them. It's just creating this ruckus and distraction. And Paul turns around, and he says, come out, demon. And he, like, rebukes it. And he's like, shutty, you out, and, and she's healed. Well, she was a fortune teller. And these guys that were, were over her, kind of owned her, used to make a profit off of her. And now there's no profit. So what happens? Paul gets dragged before the courts. And Paul gets beat up so bad. He gets beaten with rods so bad. And then he gets thrown into the deepest, darkest dungeon, shackled to a wall. That's... His suffering came out of nowhere. Just nowhere. And there's Paul, chained to a wall. And that rhymes. There he is, chained to a wall. And it says that in that time, at midnight, but at midnight, Paul began to sing to the Lord. He began to worship the Lord through song. Now, a lot of people think like the doors, the prison doors close at 1159 and Paul's like, hallelujah. I don't think that's how it happened. Paul must have gotten beat up earlier that day. Now his wounds are open. I mean, it's not like they were like, oh, you poor, let's take you to the hospital. Let's treat your wounds and then we'll take you to prison. The guy's probably bleeding from the head. His back is gushing wide open. And there he is, having his back pressed against a dirty, nasty wall, chained to the wall, and he begins to praise God. Now, I think there was a process in which Paul sat there and, go, and went, what just happened? Everything was going so smooth. 
But in his suffering, in his difficulty, Paul decided that not only is God worthy of praise in times that are good, but God is also worthy of praise in difficult times. And so what else could he do but just worship the Lord? And for us, man, it's the same thing. Whether we're going through times that, man, these are going really well. Or you could be in a pit and you're thinking, this is dark. Whether, whatever instance or wherever you are in life, God is still worthy of praise. God is still worthy of praise because of what your future holds, which is heaven. I'm not talking about your immediate future presently, but future in the sense that when you are in heaven, that is your future for all eternity. Is God not worthy of praise for the gift of salvation? Whether good or bad, man, the best thing we can do is sit at the feet of Jesus and worship him. Because as you worship him, you're gonna pick up, you're gonna pick up more of Jesus. You're gonna begin to sound like him. You're gonna begin to live more like him as we worship him. So we didn't get very far. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to, Lord, to hear from you. Jesus, we pray. God, if we came in here this morning with our heads down, Lord, we're weak, we're tired. Jesus, would you remind us of your goodness, your faithfulness towards us? Or would you birth in us just a heart that longs to worship you? Lord, may we not grow weary in our worship of you. Lord, that heaven is, is the whole central theme of heaven is worship of you. So Lord, we want to join in that, in that chorus this morning of just worshiping you in the good, in the bad, whether you give or whether you take away. Lord, you're still on the throne. You're still good. And so Lord, we love you. Jesus, we worship you this morning. And um, Lord, we, we just, um, we lift up this event at the end of the week, Jesus. We pray, God, that more people would hear about you. That those that are on their way to hell right now, Lord, that they would have their whole destiny changed as they hear the gospel message, Lord. We pray that many would give their life to you, become worshipers of you. And Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for all that you do for us. In your name we pray, amen.